the Podfix Network. Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to Studio A. You are listening to The Interview Show, your home for entertaining and insightful discussions on all manner of topics. And here's the host of the show, Chris Green. Thank you, Tommy. Welcome back, everyone. This is the continuation of our two-part conversation with Tom Naughty, the creator of Bubble Magic. Let's get right to it. How did you end up on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson? So, that's incredible, finds me, through this guy calling the Bubble Cafe. Meanwhile, I don't know it, but there's a woman from that's that's... She had produced a show in San Francisco, a little afternoon show called The Afternoon Show. And they had me on, and it didn't go well. It's like, fuck, you know, it's a bastard. So I just took <laughs> off. And then, and then nothing, right? Nothing. My girlfriend's furious the way they treated me. This, anyway, forget all about that. And I did. I forgot all about that show. The woman who produced that episode later applied for a job at the tonight show and she brought with her clips of shows she had produced in her application and she showed it to somebody at the tonight show. and when they saw this clip of me they went oh my god what is that let's smoke with a butt how who's that where how, where's the, find that guy find that guy because i was saying earlier at the lower parts of show business they want something that's like what's happening up at the top right now you know if it's you know if it's uh, prop comics if whatever's hot at the top they want that at the higher ends of show business they want new that's that's they just want new fresh new they've got all of that other they're really looking for that and they value it much more than the guys down below do so when they saw that they went new thing yeah we find him so she went looking for me She knew Santa Cruz also, and that's all she knew. So it took her a long time. And when she finally found me, I had just agreed to an exclusive with That's Incredible. An exclusive? Exclusive. I can't do it until – and they're going to put it in the can. They're going to edit it. They're going to do it, and it's not going to appear for another few months. And then then, uh, the exclusive runs a little bit beyond the the, the first showing. So Tonight Show calls, and they want me two weeks from tonight. And I said, yeah, I can't do that. I just agreed to an exclusive. And they said, did you uh, sign, sign a contract yet? And actually, no, I, I hadn't. But then I think, well, just karmically, I can't start my first steps in the show business by going back on having said, yes, I can't go against it now. You know, I would love to do The Tonight Show. I'd much rather do The Tonight Show than The uh, That's Incredible. But if it's one or the other, you know. Um, and I said, maybe when the exclusive is up, they said, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm just authorized to call you about this one date. Can you do it or not? And I said, no. So I said no to the Tonight Show. You turned down the Tonight Show. Turned down the Tonight Show until this other thing had aired. And then I called the Tonight Show. And I said, hi, I'm the guy. They said, what? Yeah, the man with the bubbles. They said, who? I said, Tom, listen, I was talking to Laurie McDonald. And they said, oh, yeah, she doesn't work here anymore. What, what is it you do? Okay, it's uh, it's so bubbles and and I kind of I put smoke, you know. And the guy said, "Well, you know, send us a tape." 
um, happily, I did have a tape that was not me on uh, That's Incredible. It was some other tape that had gotten made by a friend of mine. And so I sent them a tape. And they called me up and said, two weeks from tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up getting both of them, even though I turned the tights down the first time. Sure. So and and both and both was like, like these two. And funny enough, I had made up those two in my head. Uh, my friend Ovner the eccentric, brilliant clown. Ovner had once told me, "Tom, you should go on TV." And I said, "No, no, I don't like TV. It's entertainment for a post television generation. People should come out to the live theater." And he said, "Yeah, but Tom, you've invented a new thing nobody's ever done before. Somebody's going to copy it, and that somebody's going to go on TV." And that guy is going to be the bubble man. And you're going to be doing his act for the rest of your life. Wow. As far as, as, far as the nation is concerned. That was very and wise as advice. As, as soon as he said it, it just sounded so much like truth. <laughs> I went, oh, my God. No, he's right. Okay. Well, he was right. You know that's what would happen. Absolutely. And then I realized, okay, so I should at least go on TV once, if only to document as of this date before the next guy, I was the bubble man, I guess. And so I determined that I would try to go on. What should I go on? Well, everybody wants to be on The Tonight Show. Okay, then I'll want to go on The Tonight Show, too. I'll try and – I don't know what you have to do. You have to call them up. You have to – I don't know what you have to do. Uh, And if I can't get that, I'm sure I could get on that other show that they're doing called That's Incredible. It's like – you know, goofball things, guys driving motorcycles into brick walls and stuff. I, they, I'm a good act for them. They would want me, you know. Uh, so, I'll, but I'll try the Tonight Show first, and then, eh, then I did nothing. I don't know we had a flood in Santa Cruz that year. There's, a, I was doing benefit shows. I, I didn't do anything. And then I got that call from That's Incredible. Oh no, it's. Oh, I wanted to try the other one first, but that uh, bird in the hand. And then I got the Tonight Show. So the two that I made up in my head were the two that came and found me. Wow, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So you said you had done three appearances on the Tonight Show. Was the first one in 1983? Yes, January 1983. And mm-hmm. when when were the subsequent appearances? Uh, the next one was in. June, I think that same year. That that one was funny because I had uh, I was heading up to Oregon, and uh, but but I did a bubble festival at a at the exploratory of the Science Museum in San Francisco, and it turned huge. It turned the equivalent of what we would call viral today. I I, I talked to the exploratorium into doing a, a bubble festival. I would do my act, and then I'd answer questions about the science. And I knew this old guy in Indiana. Who did bubbles? Are you talking about Eiffel Plasterer? Eiffel G. Plasterer. And he was in his 80s, and I tracked him down, and I visited his farm. He kept bubbles in jars in his basement. But he did a show in, in like the tail end of old vaudeville and Chautauquas, and, and he uh, was now like doing shows in church groups in his part of Indiana. And it, but I couldn't see his show. He couldn't. I visited his farm, but he couldn't. It took him hours to set up his equipment. He had special formulas. Turns out he couldn't do what I'm doing, and I couldn't do what he's doing. I'm getting the stuff from Woolworth. I'm getting the cheap bubble stuff, and I found an act out of what I could do with that. You're getting a a, a bottle of bubbles at the pharmacy and, and a package of cigarettes. <laughs> That's right, and a plastic straw. That's right. That was my act. I mean, I was on the road. I could not have developed an act that required more than that. <laughs> I had a backpack, you know, and sometimes a van if it didn't break, and they did break. <laughs> so, 
but he had all this equipment and he had this stuff and he and he was a wizard. He was just wonderful. We loved each other, me and Eiffel. His assistant, which was uh, his daughter, Alice, who's still alive. We're in touch. Uh, she's in her 90s now. Um, but I, Eiffel was in his 80s. And I, I told the Exploratorium, I said, look, I've got all this attention now. I just done the Tonight Show. And everybody's calling me. You know who's called me? The comedy clubs in San Francisco called me. <laughs> of course they were. Course. Well, that's when I got it. That's when I really got it. Wait a second. These guys, why do they want me exactly? I mean, I, I know it was good for me to be on The Tonight Show, but I never quite got how that plays out. It's good. So what happens? Agents call, I guess, or Vegas call? What, what, I don't know. But when the comedy clubs, and they did, agents called and managers called, but when the comedy clubs in San Francisco called, I realized, I mean, these guys know my act. They, they, they rejected it because it wasn't really comedy. But that does, but it's not like my name suddenly is a household name. Tom, I nobody knows that. I'm not going to put butts in seats because they know my name. What do they want? They want to say on the marquee. They want to say in their ads, direct from the Tonight Show. The Tonight Show, right. That's what I'm wielding. I've got the Tonight Show. I can say the Tonight Show in the preface to my name. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So where do I want to spend that? I could give that to the bars downtown that have comedy, who told me I wasn't comedy. (laughs) Or go to the Exploratorium, the Science Center, and do this dream that I had, that they would fly this old guy out from Indiana. We'd present his act and my act, and then we would have you know, bubbles for the public to try out, and then we would have uh, exhibits. They already have exhibits on surface tension, on air pressure, on wave interference colors. We, we would just highlight exhibits they already have. We'll call it a bubble festival. And I said, well, there are only two bubble acts on the whole planet. If you have both of them together, you know what that is? That's an international bubble festival. You've got all of them. And I told him, it's cheap. I'll do it for free. Fly the old guy out, put him up, and his assistant, treat him nicely, pay his fee. What is his fee? It's going to be whatever he charges the church groups in Indiana, you know? So pay his fee, and then I'll do it for free, and, and, and it'll connect me with science, and with the science museums, instead of with those bars that, you know, and so they asked me to come to the comedy club, and I said, well, I'm not really comedy, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going nice. to the science museum. Nice. And then, and 15,000 people came to the Bubble Festival. That's incredible, Tom. Yeah. And then, and, and CBS and NBC National News did a piece about it. Uh, you know that happy spot on the news after after all the bad news they've got some and in the Cincinnati Zoo this year you know they, they've got some little happy spot. You were the human interest story of the news that night on on both national channels, two of the three national channels. Wow! And 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 Christian Science Monitor and the London Times and the uh, L.A. Times and the uh, all of the San Francisco media and the afternoon shows and the, the evening shows and all of them. And, and we had the front of the entertainment section, which is the, the this pink section they put in both of the big national uh, city newspapers uh, uh, covered it. And 15,000 people showed up for the bubble festival. And then the Merv Griffin people called. They wow. wanted to know they'd, they'd seen the press. So they wanted to know if they could have me on. And I agreed. And then the tonight show called. And they wanted to have me back. It's only six months since I was on. They want to have me back. And I said, well, I, I'd, I, I'd love to, but, you know, I just agreed with, with Merv Griffin. Is that a conflict for you? And he said, no, no. They, they tape it. They put it in the can. They air it next month. We tape it. We put it on tonight. It's a tonight show. 
oh, okay. So I flew down to Burbank and did both shows on the same day and flew. And so that was the, the second Tonight Show. It came because I'd gotten all that press and now they wanted to cash in on the fact that they helped to launch this press event, you know, that had all this attention. Uh, so they had me back on. Let me ask you a couple things about those performances on those shows. I was watching the one of those 1983 performances. I don't know if it was the first one in January or the second one in June. And it makes more sense now that you've explained that you had done your act just thousands of times by this point. Yeah. But you have a really excellent stage presence. First of all, do you remember the music that, that played behind you? Yeah, yeah, I do. Well, I mean, because I've watched the videos and stuff. It was just a noodle, you know. Uh, uh, I talked with the that, – that was the one rehearsal that I had. Johnny wasn't there for the rehearsal. They had uh, Fred uh, de Cordova. They, they yeah. had uh, Doc Severinsen in the NBC Orchestra. And, uh, and so it was with Doc that we worked that out. He said, do you, do you have any music? No, I don't have music. Uh, you want us to play? Yeah, play. But I only told them to – you know, keep it low. I didn't want anything dramatic because I didn't want them stepping on the punchlines or, or, or even stepping, stepping on the silences prior to the punchline. Those are important. So Doc Severinsen came up with that music kind of on the spot. That's right. You know, I said stuff to him. I really don't know music and it's still true. I mean, everybody in the business kind of like knows their music. I know nothing. I still <laughs> do. If, if they're live musicians, I say, I say some stuff to them. I say, look, it, it, I need a silence just before this one. Otherwise, keep everything, keep everything. When I'm blowing the bubbles, I'm not talking. So your cue to make sure you can turn the volume up, you can do something while I'm blowing it. I, I, yeah. And your cue to stop and to get down in volume or to come down to silence is when the bubble pops. And, okay. I might, and really stop it right there because I might have a joke right then. Or I might have a pause and then a joke. And I'm saying that. That's what makes sense to me. And he's turning that, Doc is, to the band into, okay, so listen, I'll, you guys follow me. I'm going to do a noodle underneath. And then, you know, you, you hit it for highlights. But, don't, but Mike, don't, don't hit that. You know, don't, don't give us any symbols because he wants to have a good. So he turned it into whatever made sense to musicians to say that. That's interesting about the music because I was going to ask you what that song was. And I thought maybe you chose that. But I, I like I like this actual story behind it better. Yeah, <laughs> but there's a certain tone and a vibe that you have on stage, particularly in that performance, where kind of nothing phases you. You know, you you've got the humor mixed in. You know, you can obviously tell, and it didn't ruin the act by any means. But there, it's a couple of things, minor things, didn't work out. You made a joke and went right past those. You made it part of the act. You've got kind of a kind of a grin, kind of a smirk on your face, like like. And I mean that in the best way possible. It, it, like everything about that, just just your your body language and and the way you execute that performance, it, it's got a certain charisma to it. It has such a great vibe to it. Do you? Can you speak to that? Yeah, yeah. And let, do you, do you understand what I'm getting at? I do, I do. And and, and that's a comment that people are making also. And uh, um, but here's here's this thing. I, I told you before, I was street perform. I was never a really good street performer. I was there was this. I was too shy to holler. I, could, <laughs> it was, and and then I would play the bars and I would play the cafes and the thing. The first thing was to try and get everybody in this place to stop talking to each other and turn around and look at me. I've got a sequence of things. If, I, if I'm going to do a better hat, if I, <laughs> I wasn't good at that. Well, Tom, and, that's actually why I'm asking the questions is because of that whole explanation. I've been thinking about that the whole time you explained that. Because it's almost as if 
the lead in act would be like a beat poet <laughs> because, or, or a jazz musician. And then you'd be the main act that would come in at the end because the, the tone of it, and the, which, which I love, like if you, if you were loud and over the top uh, or really obnoxious in, in your style, it wouldn't be nearly as enjoyable. Like people watching you wouldn't nearly enjoy you or your personality nearly as much if you were loud. Yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, it does. The fact does. that you were so chill in the way you executed <laughs> that, just add, for for me personally, adds to the enjoyment of the act. Like it makes it you, you can't you can't be loud as you're doing tricks with bubbles, <laughs> right? Yeah, or or too highfalutin. I mean, it is physics. It's studied the highest levels of mathematics and physics. They are important, actually. It's actually a very scientific and very sophisticated act. I'm I'm just saying, like like the loudness. I understand of it. what you're saying, but I'm just saying. And I can't come off like that, at least not in the beginning. I've right. got to come off kind of modest because he's only blowing bubbles. Come on, calm down. <laughs> and if you're going to say that, I need to say that first. I'm with you guys. Yeah. It's just bubble blowing. I got to just kind of lower expectation. I know, I know, I know. But like, and then, oh, that was surprising, wasn't it? Look at the smoke in that one. Oh, it came out. I didn't know they could do that. Yeah, I, I, I need to get you down with me <laughs> and then impress you. But if I come off on it, I know the most amazing thing anybody's ever seen. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know? How old were you when you did that January 83 performance? Oh, uh, uh, 33, 34. Okay. 33. Okay. Yeah. So, so, but here's the thing. So, when I said that stuff about me on the streets being too shy, and it, it, it's hard. Street performing is hard. I'm nervous when, every time people ask me, weren't you nervous on the Tonight Show? I mean, millions of people were watching the top of the No. Really? I walked out. I walked out and I got it immediately. I walked out and saw the audience, saw the situation, and I understood oh my God, I'm in the light. They're in the dark, they're, the people I could see, they're all sitting in chairs facing me already. <laughs> the, I, I've got a microphone. They don't. If they wanted to heckle, I could still out, outclass them. This is so much easier than the streets. If I want to leave a silence, if I want to slow the whole thing down, and I, just, I just relaxed so much because I realized they're going to only follow me the streets you don't get that yeah. you don't leave a silence you're fighting for attention the kid who saw your your act before he's going to holler out the punchline before you do you better hurry up to that punchline you better not leave that nice silence that sets up a punchline that there's a beautiful thing that you can do uh, you don't do it on the streets man because a drunk will yell out something non sequitur a bus will drive by you won't have a silence you, you got and so all the street performers end up being really punchy really punchy moving to the next thing moving to the next thing. they don't get that that sweet other thing you can do on a stage when everybody is waiting for you. Well, you, you may not even get that in a live club atmosphere, right? Environment? No, right. right. I mean, until you get them. Until you get them. But, but I knew it. As soon as I walked out, this was mine. I could do whatever I want. I relaxed so much. <laughs> I, you, you know, you say there were a few mistakes. You're right. And I do have a lot of jokes for mistakes because I was a street performer, so I have to. But you know the one, when I did the love bubble, there was... I'm trying to do the love. It's not working. I'm trying to do the love. It's not working. <laughs> and then, and then the bubble broke. Right. Oh man. Well, okay. That has happened in real life before that break. And I came up with a joke for it. Okay. That was killer. And I decided before I went on, I want to do that joke. 
So I'm going to intentionally make that mistake. So when I'm swinging the two bubbles together, um, I'm sticking my pinky out on one of my hands. Never do that. The bubble will is trailing behind. It's going to it's going to pop on that finger if you do that. So they won't see it. But if I do that, it'll break the bubble. And then there's this disappointment. They're almost holding their breath at that point. And then in that silence, I'm going to turn right to the camera and do my punchline. Nice. <laughs> but only, but only if I haven't had three mistakes before that. I can't add too many. I've only got so many jokes, and you can't do this too much. And I don't know. I haven't played a lot. And you know, TV studio, then they, they never let the air in the room. Are the bubbles going to – the heat from the lights? Maybe I'm going to be fighting the whole time. Wind from the, the – the, I don't know what I'm going to face. But if I haven't had trouble by that time, I'm going to do that joke. I'm going to make that mistake so I can use that mistake joke. Yeah. <laughs> And it worked perfectly. And really, turn. They they often people always tell you, don't look at the camera, man. Don't look at the camera. It always it doesn't look right. Yeah, kind of. That's yeah. That that's kind of a rule. Yeah. And then break that rule sometimes, man. <laughs> and that one, I turned right to the camera, and then it was the one with the red light on it. Thank God. And I said my line, and it was. Ugh. The sweetest part in the act, I think. Nail- oh, yeah. Nailed it, especially <laughs> understanding the explanation behind it. I'm fascinated to know that you weren't at all nervous, and your explanation makes that make sense. I was playing the streets earlier that week. <laughs> wow. So it really, it was, a, it was a feeling of, and I'm so glad, and I keep emphasizing this, but it, it astounds me that I felt it as soon as I came out. I got it. <gasps> These guys are not going to holler. I'm fr- I don't have to... And I could just do the act. The act. They also told me they told me you got six minutes. And I told them, look, I'm really bad. I've I've done some indoor things. I'm I'm terrible. I, my my on stage guy doesn't have a clock. It's just I don't know how to do it. Uh, they said no problem. We're going to have somebody standing beside the camera. He's going to show you three fingers when he's got three minutes left. Two fingers when he got two minutes left. One finger when you got one minute left. Perfect. There you go. So that means I don't have to think about the time at all. When I see two fingers, I'm going to do the cube and the carousel and get off. Those are those tricks. I'll take my time doing them because they don't really take a full minute each. But I, I know I've – and so I'm just going to ignore all of it until I see two fingers. And then I'll just go on my normal – what it feels like to do next, what, I, what occurs to me, how the audience flow went. And if I think of something, say it, you know, until I see the two fingers, then like bing, 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 let's get the two in there, you know. And then, turns out, I didn't know this until later. I saw the tape and timed it. I went nine nine minutes and twenty some odd seconds. Johnny had called off the timekeeper. Johnny loved the act. Wow! And he called off the timekeeper. I never saw any fingers. I kept going. I kept going. Still waiting to see my three fingers, no two fingers. I'm, am I looking at the right camera? I'm looking around. All is well. Now they don't hurry me, and then I'll keep going until finally I decided. Yeah, you know, Tom, you ought to wrap it up anyway. I guess I haven't done my time yet, but wrap it up, you know. Do the Cuban carousel. Let's go. And so I did it finally. Thought, uh, you never got your cues. Never got cues, no. Wow. <laughs> What's just the overall experience of traveling to and being on The Tonight Show? I mean, they're on, They're in Burbank. They're at you know, the television studios. You, you drive over there in your van. You 
No, they uh, they flew me down okay. from uh, San Jose uh, that that first time, uh, which is right across from Santa Cruz. Um, and then yeah, then a limo, <laughs> a limo. I told them, I told them, man, you just got a guy with a with a car to get me, get a friend, you know. And they said, no, no, we don't have friends. We have limos. <laughs> sure, <laughs> that was a great line. Um, they, they had their limo driver, and he took me to the Sheraton Universal Hotel, and got the room. To, uh, the, the I think I spent the night before. Yeah, I spent the night before at the Sheraton Universal, ordered you know, dinner, put it on the tab, and hung out, watched Johnny Carson on TV that night. And then of course. The next next night in the evening, they sent to, or the uh, yeah, late afternoon, early evening, they sent a limo to <laughs> take me to the Tonight Show. And, uh, and we had the, the run-through, you know, kind of camera rehearsal, me and, me and the band, camera rehearsal and, and band rehearsal. Um, and Johnny made a Johnny made a point. He said it actually on the air later um, that he doesn't. He often doesn't come to rehearsals for acts like this. He prefers to be surprised on air, so that his reactions on air are genuine. He right. doesn't feel obliged to put on a oh look I didn't know. He just stays away from rehearsals so that it'll be real when it happens, and that. And it really did catch me by surprise, you know. And afterwards, he came over to to stand with me uh, uh, for for a moment. He told me, he said they got some really good footage up there. They they, they used some isolated camera. They used the star filter. They got they, they're going to offer you an opportunity to uh, to buy the tape. They give you sell you a broadcast quality tape. He said, yeah, make sure you do that. He said, and that's your audition tape from now on. Make copies. You send it out as your audition tape. He knew who he was talking to. I had no experience at all. Sure, I didn't know there was such a thing called audition tapes as a regular part of the. So he was just giving me all this advice because he knew who he was, who he was, and who he was talking to. He started, as you said, as a magician himself. He has really good hands, and he knows magic. And and like the other magicians, he he knew what he was watching. Oh my God, look at the time he spent. And he didn't say, but I like to think that. He, he he saw the practiced um, comic delivery, the 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 part, the you know the intentional, the the jokes for the for the mistakes and the ready and the, and the toss this one out and make that one little and make this one more than it is and then the you know the the the, the structure of comedy that was in it. He's, he's, he was a student of that as well. Right. Uh, had he had he sent me down? That's what I was hoping to talk about. Um, they never did sit me down. Um, I think they, they planned to the second time and they had somebody that went over. So I did the act and got off the second time. And the third time it was Bob Hope and Barbara Mandrell and me. So they'd spent all that time already. So I never did sit. But Johnny used to talk all the time about uh, about comedy with these comics that he had on and the Borscht Belt and, the, and, and Vaudeville and how you needed a place to be bad until you got good. And they used to have that in Vaudeville. There were places on the bill. There were small-time theaters where you could be bad until you got good. And I wanted to tell them that that's what street performing is serving. We have a place to be bad, and until you learn how to, you know, until you learn some skills on the streets, you know, you, you don't have to be auditioned and booked. You can be on the streets. And once you get good, then that's that's what's happening. But he used to. They, he and the others, they used to bemoan the fact, where are the new comics going to come from? There's no place to be bad anymore. Well, then street performing exploded in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And there's a place to be bad and work up your stuff. How did your experience on The Tonight Show 
compare to your appearance on David Letterman so many years later? <laughs> so Letterman, that was 2007. And they had seen me. It, it was kind of a nightclub-y situation. It was a beautiful uh, tent uh, tent show in, in New York City or by the old Fulton Fish Market site, uh, South Seaport. And and actually, the rest of the show, everybody in it, friends of mine, I'd done shows with a number of these people in, in Germany and Europe and stuff. But all of the acts in this show were really sexy. <laughs> and uh, a friend of mine, jazz musician friend of mine in New York, he came to the show and he said, yeah, you were the... Um, you were uh, you were the palate cleanser <laughs> in this otherwise sexy show, you know. Um, <laughs> Did you take offense to being considered the non-sexy act? No, 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 absolutely. I'm the bubble <laughs> guy. There's no way I'm going to put any of that on. <laughs> in fact, he he had told me, you know, I told him, yeah, I'm coming to the city. I'm going to do this show uh, at tenth down in Fulton, and and he said, okay, I'll bring the kids. It's no, 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 this show, no kids. No kids. <laughs> and then when he saw it, he, he did this palate cleanser joke on me. Um, and Letterman people saw that and booked me from that. So I don't know that they knew that I was on the Tonight Show prior to at least wow. when they first. Yeah. Um, but I was thrilled because I still had this audition tape of me on the Tonight Show. But Johnny Carson had been off the air for a while. This tape I was sending out was starting to look like, well, don't you have anything newer, old timer? <laughs> oh well, yeah, because Carson went off in the I think in '92. So now it's 2007, and not only that, but. Just like all the all the young people uh, seeing the video on YouTube right now, a big topic when people saw the Tonight Show tape, if they did see it, was, "Oh, I'm sorry, we can't book you here. We we don't we can't have cigarette smoking. Well, you're not going to smoke in front of our kids, right? You know, stuff like. And no, 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 no. I I had quit long before I had quit smoking. I, I, that was going to be one of my questions for a little bit later. Talk about when you quit smoking and how you transitioned into into what you had to replace it with sometime in the nineties. Um, I, I had been working all along because early on, you know, early on, the only people that were talking about cigarettes when I was on the tonight show in 83, nobody cared. Johnny was smoking on air. People were, there was a regular thing back then, except the hippies and especially the hippies along the West coast. They were against cigarettes. They were against white sugar they were against cooking in aluminum pots. They just had these superstitions. I say they, I mean me. That's my. That's who I hung out with. That's, right. That was my world. Right. So the hippies. But I had to keep smoking because now my act was based on it. I and so I made <laughs> jokes about it and so and but they were they would literally make exceptions at the vegetarian restaurant to allow me to do my act. Wow. <laughs> because. Oh, but only for the end. <laughs> so I made jokes about it, but I was also looking for a way to get out of this. Is there another thing that can provide me with the smoke that I need to, to isolate some of the bubbles? Um, because I knew that all the stuff that was starting with the hippies was getting wider and it was going to spread across California. And once California is doing it, the, the world is going to pick it up from California. It's just I've got to get out of this before – the world goes anti-cigarette like the hippies are. So I kept looking. I, I had guys build for me these, these pipe-like tubes and burn things that then went out, and I had to put stuff in it to keep burning. And I, it just nothing was really working out. Nothing was, was really desirable or, or simple, easy that I could hold in my hand while I was doing it as easy as a cigarette. Um, 
finally I'd switched to ginseng cigarettes. Um, but then in, in the early 2000s, I had come up with a toy. There was a toy that was designed to make uh, smoke rings, actually uh, fog rings. It's, it's glycerin. Glycerin gets heated into a vapor. And, and I had to modify that toy, and I could use it on stage with no cigarette and nothing that looks like he's smoking cigarette. I wasn't inhaling the stuff. It was only glycerin, no, none of the additives or anything. And so I, and I'm only blowing it into the device. I'm not even sucking it into me. So I, I, I'd solved that. Meanwhile, I've got this Tonight Show video that's out there. Now it's being picked up online by people. And they're, I'm, I've still got this reputation that, no, we can't book them. They, they, they do a search for me, and they'd see me smoking a cigarette. No, no, you guys, I don't, I don't do that anymore. I've got, but I needed a good video of me with the new device. And, uh, oh, and now Letterman calls. Perfect. Another high-end show. I'll get a video of me on Letterman using the new Fog device. Perfect. I get to the studio, and uh, the, the guy that booked me, uh, he saw my tech page. He knows I have to have no wind. So he's got this big cloth box that stands behind me, around me, and above me. It's made out of curtains. Uh, but it blocks me from the wind, the intense air conditioning that's blowing from behind me out toward the audience. And I try it out, and yeah, it works. It works. If I get deep enough into the box, the, the wind that wants to swirl around coming at it doesn't affect me. So, okay, perfect. I'll do that. Um, but listen, you guys, I'm going to new, use a new device. As far, they said, no, no, no. We want you to do it the way that we saw it in that nightclub. Well, in the nightclub, I used ginseng cigarettes just because it, it looked – more fitting for their setting. But no, no, I need the video of me with the device. We're arguing about that, me and the Letterman people. Can I use my new Fogger? That's the video I need. And they're and they're sticking with it, and I'm sticking with it. And so we're, we're having this fight. Um, and and I'm, I'm going to use it anyway. I don't, I, what are they going to do? I'll come out on air with it. What are they, what are they gonna do? So I'm up in the room, and my guy comes to the room there's somebody's yelling down in the studio hollering out i don't know what it's about and and he comes to the room hurries over to me and says hey don't worry everything's okay i wasn't worried but now wait a second what what's what's okay no something's wrong right <laughs> nobody comes to you to tell you everything's okay unless something's wrong so that hollering down in the suit that's about me yeah that's the director saying he's not going to use the big black box that that blocks the wind for me i oh, said well no. no i don't need yeah no it's okay i don't need the box just turn off the wind I, i'm on for what i got six minutes turn off the wind for six minutes i don't need the box no problem he said well let, let's go down and talk to the director and we talk and and the director's not talking to me about turning off the wind he's just talking about he's not going to use the box i'm saying i don't need the box turn off the wind he's going Al, don't worry about it you'll be fine yeah, I'll be fine because you're going to turn off the wind, right? You're not going to put me on national television to do a soap bubble act in wind. <laughs> yeah, that'd be he crazy. Said, yeah. He said, well, you know, we, we, we just need a camera rehearsal right now. Can you just show the us and the band? We just, yeah, yeah. No, man, can you not feel what's happening here right now? Can you not feel these gale force winds coming from that big wall of air conditioning? 
I can't even show you rehearsal. Oh, are you okay? Yeah, let me show you. Let me show you. I'll show you a rehearsal. And so, uh, and so I, 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 I saw up a bubble and I go chasing it. I'm chasing it. I'm running with it. I'm showing that's the volcano. That's me. And then the next one is bubble inside. <laughs> that's what it looks like if I try and do it in the wind. And he says, yeah, okay, you'll be surprised how good that looks on camera. Okay, Mike, we're going with this here. No, no, what? No. <laughs> like, I don't think you get my point here. Yeah. So I decided, I'm just standing there. He, he's done. He's done with me now. And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, I can walk. I can just walk out. And I'm walking out of the David Letterman show. Uh, I, I spent a nice night in a nice hotel last night here in New York City. I, so I have to fly home tomorrow. Uh, I, have to, I have to have a room tonight. But I could walk out on these guys. I should Damn it. Okay. I was a street performer for a lot of years. I do have some tricks to fight the wind. And at least in this in this case, the wind's all coming from one direction. It's not like changing directions like it does in the real world. Okay. So if I hold my shoulder up really high, it sort of blocks some of the wind, and that creates kind of a quiet place up against my body. And if I make the bubbles really small, bigger ones get battered around by the wind a lot more easily i'll make it small let the camera zoom in and make it bigger for the for the public okay so i'm thinking through all the tricks i can do the ones i don't i dare not even try to do i had a plan for a different act for this newer time you know that wouldn't look too much like the uh, the old carson one and 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 forget the, the fog machine i'm going with it i had some ginseng cigarettes left over from the old days uh, okay, I'll go with the ginseng cigarettes. I'll tell the audience it's ginseng. I'll tell them I quit smoking, so at least I'll have that on the video. And, so, and then I think, well, how much of the time that I'm actually on doing the act, am I actually handling a soap bubble? I mean, some of the time I'm doing the setup, I'm doing the joke. I'll extend those times, <laughs> and I'll quicken the bubble part time. And it's important to me that I not look nervous, I can't, I'm going to be fighting the wind, but I can't let them see that on me. It's got to look like, like the Tonight Show did, like I'm okay. So that's my focus. And I go through the whole act and yeah, and then I'm talking to David. Hey, that's a, that's a band. <laughs> and then doing the ball and, and holding it up against the wind. And when, it, and when, and when one of the bubbles escapes from me in the wind, I watched the camera dip down to follow it to its destruction on the on the stage floor. And well, shh, they're gonna follow the damn mistakes. So the next every time after that, whenever a bubble got off of the wand, I broke it immediately. Like that was what I intended to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I just I, I kind of got through the act, and I pulled off all the tricks. That was my goal. I'm gonna do all of the tricks. The public will not know that I'm fighting for my life. I won't look like I am. And then, and then I, I don't know how I did. I, I know I, I got all the tricks done, but I don't know how I looked. So I'll watch it tonight when they air it. And when they aired, I'm watching it. And actually, I ended up watching the bubble. Look at the smoke. Look at look, that, look, that, that wind. is so crazy. I look, and I'm watching the, I just, it aired. And I, I, I realized when it was over, oh, I forgot to look at the guy's face. <laughs> I was going to look and see how I, how I did. And I realized I didn't really look. So I had to wait three hours until they aired it on the West Coast. I called my girlfriend. She's my wife now. 
and Shelly and Shelly, yeah, they were having a party. Hey, everybody, it's Tom. Hey, yeah, we're great. That was wonderful. Uh, yeah, uh, and and I said, and and the wind. And she said, oh, oh, what? Did you have a problem? Oh no! Wow. Yeah, she had seen me hundreds and hundreds of times. She didn't see it. You pulled they it didn't off. See it. The public didn't see it at all. And that, and so when it went up on uh, on YouTube. Somebody immediately put it up on YouTube. Then I tell people, no, look at that. Look at this. It's the smoke. You see where the smoke is going? I'm really good, man. I did that in the wind. Look at that. <laughs> now, uh, before that, I wanted nobody to know. Now I want, now want everybody to know. <laughs> wow. That's fantastic. But David was cool. I thought David was great. On air, he gave me a nice introduction. And then when it was over, he came over and he stood with me. Almost like, not quite, but almost like he had his arm around me. But it was, we were buddies and stuff. And he said, that was really it. So Tom Nottie's, you know, and it was such a warm, it was such a good looking thing. It was such a nice thing. That, and then as soon as that was over and we went to the break, he turned and left. I mean, I had no real interaction with him and didn't need it at all. I mean, I, he gave me precisely what I needed on camera. It looks like me and Dave are like hanging out. And he went out of his way to give me that and then go back and do what he's doing for himself. I, I thought that was well done. That's a very gratifying experience. Yeah. So the question that I have is, at what point did this thing reach a tipping point? Because today you're a full-time performer. You know, you don't have a straight gig. When did this kind of take root and you said, okay, I'm not playing for coins anymore. I, I can do this. This can be the thing that I do. Yeah, well, that that's what I was... Well, those are not opposites. Uh, at some point, uh, you know, I, 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 when we go back to uh, was it 1975, I headed from the East Coast out to California to see if I could do something in show business. I determined then not to take other jobs. Okay. Just if I get skinny, if I get needy, then I'll go ahead and get skinny and I'll get needy. I'll just do everything uh, with the act it's just i I have a feeling that's going to help um and i think it did (laughs) it forced me to get good you just you just drew a line in the sand you had you you made that deal with yourself yes i had i had already made the deal to save up money to get out to california to to heck with me for the next you know and i worked that factory with a date set for quitting and stuff so that was part of the deal and the next part of the deal was and now none of that and only performing see what that forces me to have to do to make the act work if it means the all-night donut shop and it means <laughs> whatever it means and i i just i did that and then but mind you you know i was really skinny <laughs> yeah and it was i said living on caffeine instead of protein and it was like that i was really skinny and i see those pictures now it wasn't just my face was i, I used to think oh that's a look at that Firm. No, that was malnutrition, man. Look at that. <laughs> I mean, now it's rounder than it needs to be. But that was something else going on. And I was just, that was fine. I was, I was young enough and I was healthy enough that I could, I was doing that. I didn't have a, I didn't have a kid I was taking care of. I didn't have, you know, family obligation. I, I was, I was fine. I just gave myself to that. And then, and so it really was all the questions until the, the moment was immediately after that first Tonight Show appearance. Now, I'm the bubble man. 
Now I'm the guy that was on the Tonight Show. That, and, and now all the calls that were coming in, they wanted me on British television, on the Paul Daniels Magic Show, the biggest show in the UK. Everybody watched it. It was on a BBC. And uh, and uh, in Germany, it was the uh, Rudy Carell, a big variety show that he did. In France, it was uh, it was Jacques Martin. Uh, in in Japan, I was on Chikidombre. Just all these big shows and all over the world. They, they, they just, because that's the Tonight Show. Because show business knew what the Tonight Show was doing. And so, and, and then agents would call and they would, some of them wanted to be my agent or my manager or something like that. And I wasn't interested in that. I thought, you know, I could have used an agent maybe an earlier time to get myself to the Tonight Show. But now that I got the Tonight Show, the Tonight Show is my agent. What could they do for you? Yeah, well, they, yeah. So they, they can answer the calls that are coming in. And they can, or, you know, some of them are connected to places, but those places are finding me too. They're also calling. So, right. and not only that, but I got to give the, the agent a piece and I've got to give him a piece of whatever comes from that gig he gave me. And they're all coming to me right now. So I'm going to be tied up with this agent for the next 20 years right now if I start doing work for him or her. So let me just ride this one out while everybody's already calling the Tonight Show and getting my number from them. Let all of those shows and the ones that come from it belong to me. And sometimes I gave them to an agent, you know, and say, so, yeah, talk to these guys for me. Try and get, you, know, you, you cover the, the travel. I could, I could give, but I wouldn't have to be one of theirs. Uh, and, and, and only when things finally calmed down after several years, I, I had to, my job was to keep the novelty. Alive. They thought I was a novelty act. I thought I was an entertainer. But I need, I need to keep the novelty alive long enough that I would keep doing ghost gigs. And it took several years before it started slowing down because all the natural people had already called me. And now, by then, I had asked around in the business and found out Monique in, in Paris was the best of the agents. So I told Monique, you know, yes, I would like to work with you if you can find. So she found me stuff in Belgium and another one in Spain and another one in Italy that weren't natural ones to come find me. She knew these others. And then I would do those through her. And then the ones that came from that, I'd do through her as well. The Tonight Show was immediate, the immediate reaction when the phone went crazy. Thank God, because I just then moved into a place and had a phone. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you that earlier is how did these people even find you because you were living out of your car? Yeah, I had given the phone number of a friend of mine who had a, a, a kid's clothing and used used clothing and used toy store. And uh, Carol, <laughs> so so they would call Carol's store and then Carol would, once I moved into a room I rented from Carol as well. And then, uh, but when they would call the store first, that meant they got my number from The Tonight Show. Oh, so interesting. So when they got relayed over to my new number, uh, because they call, Carol would call me up, Tom, we just got another one. And they called here first. Okay, thanks. And then I know that these people are calling because they got me from The Tonight Show. And if they got me from The Tonight Show, they assume that I cost a lot of money. And if they got me from The Tonight Show, they're right. <laughs> I'm expensive. Other gigs, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's a charity. Maybe, but but if they came through the Tonight Show, yeah, let's let's start at the big number. And I didn't know what the big numbers were, but I experimented by trying. If I didn't want a gig, I would ask for too much money, and sometimes I was surprised to find out, oh, that's not too much. Okay, I'll do the stupid gig, but okay, and then next time it's a higher number than that. Then, <laughs> what did the big number eventually get to? Uh, well, they were paying me five thousand dollars for some of these uh, big variety shows in uh, in Europe and stuff, and that's for that's for you know a six minute spot on a TV show, you know, just 
plus fly me there along with you know, <laughs> the first one I got uh, the BBC Paul Daniels and the guy asked me how much did I want and I asked him uh, I said you know okay let me be honest with you I would really like to do this uh, I don't know what you pay um, maybe you can help me with this why don't you advise me I'm talking to the guy, you know, whose budget I'm attacking here. Uh, and here's what I, really what I want to do. I want to have enough money to be able to uh, fly my girlfriend to come with me. And, and then we'll take the money. We're going to go up to Scotland. We're going to go to Ireland. We're going to travel around. We're going to rent a car. Um, how much should I be asking you for? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, he laughed. And then he said, okay, look, first of all, she's not your girlfriend. She's your offstage assistant. Nice. Yeah. I said, ooh, I'm gonna write that one down. Offstage because then that then that means they they fly her. And not only that, but for him it's easy because it's not his budget. It's somebody else's budget. It's travel. Sure. <laughs> so so he could negotiate, you know, with him up until a certain point and then add on this other travel thing. Yeah, that's easier for him to give away because <laughs> it's not his budget. And then and um and then he gave me the advice about a number as well. And, and they give her a per diem as well. <laughs> she's, <laughs> well, she's part of the team. Yes. So the next time they wanted me back on the same TV show, and they, I had a different guy. So I had a better idea of how much to ask. And I negotiated as much as I could. And then I said, plus, of course, my offstage assistant. And the guy laughed and he said, is that your girlfriend? And yeah. I said, no, it's my mom. <laughs> and he said, yeah, okay, fine. So uh, my mom... My mom had been born in New York, but all of her older brothers and sisters had been born in Scotland. So she grew up with this Scottish culture in her family, in her life, in her house, but she'd never been there. And I wanted to bring mom to Scotland. Wow. So this time I got them to bring mom as my offstage assistant. We did the TV show in London. Then we went up to Blackpool and visited to see something. And then we went up to... Glasgow, where the family was from, and up to Edinburgh during the festival, and out to visit a friend out on the Firth of Forth. She was, th I'm still a hero in the family that Tommy took mom to Scotland. <laughs> Man, what a cool opportunity. Yeah. So, Tom, how many years have you been doing this act? What's, what's your official number that you use? Uh, 48, I think, is what I worked out recently. Almost 50 years. Yes. Going, closing in on 50 years. So, you've been doing your act bubble magic for almost 50 years and at this point you've done it thousands and thousands of times you've done it all over the world mm -hmm. when you think about where it all started do you look back with just a tremendous amount of pride and satisfaction uh yeah yeah you know and the the the, the pride that i take mostly has to do with um I guessed pretty good, you know, that thing negotiating with the guy about the TV show and that thing asking them, being honest. Um, I, I, um, and I, I calculated to the extent that I was capable. I mean, it's mostly in somebody else's hands, a lot of that business part. And I'm a, I'm a hippie. I'm not that much of a businessman, but I'm enough of a street guy that I don't. You know that I, I don't want to get ripped off. <laughs> you know, so I so I have an eye to that, and I did see something. Early on, people sometimes ask me, so did you have any idea that this would, you know, and actually pretty early on with the bubbles, I was doing the puppet show and I saw people liked it. It was smart. I had some clever things. I'd wrote some nice, written some nice comedy. And then, then I saw this thing with the bubbles that 
they all everybody always liked the bubbles. And and, and that's not an exaggeration. Everybody always likes the bubbles. Um, and I went, what is that? I think that's a thing. I mean, I'm not really in show business. I'm on the streets, but I think that would be a thing in show business if I ever get myself into the real world. Everybody always, I think if you're doing something that everybody always, I think that's like a thing. <laughs> so I expected that I would someday get a lot of attention for this. And then I even imagined, you know, nobody's doing this. I'm inventing a new genre of entertainment. And eventually, some of them, I'm going to be gone at some point. And some of the people who are doing bubble shows are going to say, you know, they're going to refer to me like the jugglers talk about Rustelli who invented a lot of things he was doing, or Francis Brune, or Bobby May. Uh, the, the, the magicians talk about Herman the Great, or, or Blackstone, or some of the, you know, Houdini, or some of the things that the people who invented a new aspect, you know, and created a thing. And I'm going to be the guy that bubble people talk about, this guy that started this thing, Tom Nutty, way back when. Uh, I was a little bit worried, because the first few people that started copying my act and doing it uh, made a, a point of never mentioning my name because <laughs> i don't know people would ask them well how did you even think of this and they just didn't they just couldn't didn't have them to say well i was watching this guy on tv <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i get it i get why that would be hard and 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 i, and I don't mean on stage you know sometimes you're a silent funny man sometimes you're a the master of the elements you're not going to go on stage and say this is somebody else's you know i i don't need a, it was just backstage. It was just in the interviews. Right. If you if you interview one of these guys, I I thought they were going to say my name, but instead they started saying, "When I was a little boy, I saw bubbles in the stream going by, and I thought, you know, maybe one day." Uh, come on, man. Just you don't have to send me any money or anything. Just <laughs> every once in a while, say my name. name my name, you, our names are the coin of the realm. Come on, we're in show business. Sure. Just say my name. Yeah. And don't and don't say you know. And he invented everything I do. I have my own. If you talk about Rostelli, you say, "Well, Rostelli used to do it with a ball. I use this other thing, and it has a different vibration." And I, you know, you, you tell them how you're different or how you modified or where you took this concept, but you give credit. To the guy Absolutely. back then, at least at least backstage or in the interview or something, you know. And then the internet happened, and a few very honest guys who were doing bubbles uh, made a real point of challenging anybody that suggested otherwise. So that's not true. Tom Noddy was on TV seven years before you even first, you know. Uh, so, so they started defending that and now there's a, among the people who do bubbles and to my knowledge there are about uh, a few thousand people on the planet right now making a living doing this thing i invented so you were the first one and now there's a few thousand people doing it that's right well you know and there was eiffel plasterer the the old guy that i mentioned sure he was he was out there and it does turn out there was a history that was broken somewhere between in the, the, these books I talked about, the activity books and stuff, where Mark Twain had put smoke inside of bubbles, nobody had done all these tricks that I came up with. And I'm glad I didn't know about any of them because there were a certain limited way and a certain stronger, thicker, slower liquids that they used, which would not be capable of doing what I do. I've got the stuff from Woolworths and found out you can do a lot more with the fluid stuff. Than, and so... Uh, this thing, which is which is what now people are doing, uh, 
kind of all of it kind of stems from me. And when it doesn't, they say that they'll say if they're if they're doing something from Eiffel plaster, uh, you know, he he did the giant bubbles, um, had his his own way with these things. Um, but otherwise, they're being a lot more honest because there are a lot more people calling them on it. That's great. That's got to feel good. <laughs> and so I do take some pride in that. You know, there are all these other people who are making their living guys that they were already entertainers a number of them children's entertainers or sciency uh presenters who added and now they're adding helium to it i i would suck some helium from a balloon and blow it into a bubble and watch it go up once in a while but it, i never made it part of my act somebody wants to go to vegas and puts laser lights in them i played <laughs> with lasers at the science museum but i never added it to my show i'm delighted that people are taking it and making it part of their personality their take on it you know that's that's ideal that's perfect i don't really want to see a copy of my act but some inspired by me going another way and then and then yeah naming me if uh, if it comes up you don't have to somebody once asked me if uh you know who's better you or so and so other bubble blower and i said come on we're talking about blowing bubbles it's like asking (laughs) whether whether Larry or Mo was the smart stooge. <laughs> We're talking about blowing bubbles. Come on. <laughs> well, okay. I, I want to make sure in this conversation and on my show, I give you proper due. So as, as the originator of this thing, how can I do that? How can I refer to you as the originator of this thing? What's the, what's the proper language to use, the way to describe it? Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm the I'm the bubble guy, and when I started, well, well, Johnny said that is sensational. It's great. I asked our director Bobby Quinn this afternoon. I said, I don't want to see this. Is it any good? I said, Yeah, man blowing bubbles. He says it is amazing. Mm-hmm. Do you understand how you can do oh, that? Oh no, not at all. And his commentary is good too. That's right. Thank you, Tom. Tom Lardy. We'll be right back. Bubble man. So whatever Johnny said. Well, James Brown is the godfather of soul. <laughs> what is Tom Noddy to bubble magic? <laughs> there are there are some people that refer to me as the god, some of the bubble people, you know, uh, who call themselves bubblers, bubbleologists, and stuff like that. Um, and some of them will refer to me as the uh, godfather. Some of them would call me Yoda. Somebody call uh, they go into master and stuff. But uh, again, for me though, it's just, if you start high, it's hard to. I, I prefer. Uh, the bubble guy. Okay. All right. <laughs> I wanted to give you the opportunity to put words to it. I appreciate that. You're welcome. <laughs> My listeners had a handful of questions that they wanted to pose, and I'd like to finish up with those, if that's okay. You bet. Okay. There were a handful of people that wanted to know some behind-the-scenes stuff. You already covered how you transitioned from cigarettes to the alternative. A couple of people wanted to know, just how does it work? What What is your preferred soap, soap-water ratio? What is... What's your solution? And then, and then just kind of how does it work? How can you give us? I know it's a, it's a visual thing. It'd be a lot easier if we had a room and you're giving us a tutorial, but pull back the curtain a little bit and, and tell us how you do that. Okay. Uh, and so uh, the first part of that is what's the solution? And that's often the first question. Are you still going down to, down to Walgreens and buying bubble solution in, like at Walmart? Um. <laughs> And I, I sometimes do. I'll go into like the dollar stores and, and yeah, Walmart, some of them, they, they, they stick with a certain brand, but uh, you go into the dollar stores and it's, it's always changing brands. So, uh, so I'll, I'll get whatever they've got and I'll try it. I'll take it home and try it and see if it's capable. There's a certain thing. When I put a bubble inside of a bubble, uh, 
It's a very fast liquid motion that uh, there's a sort a quality that uh, bubblers have come to it's calling self-healing. You blow the you blow on the wall of the bubble. If you aim at the equator, you get a fairly decent-sized bubble. You blow at the wall with a quick little burst. The wall bends in, forms a long tube inside, right? The wall of the, the big bubble. And then at, it, it reaches a critical junction. As soon as the tube is three and one-seventh times its diameter in length, pi, so it, it has to form a little waste, and it splits off if it survives. It's a very stressy spot for that. There's a certain quality. Some of them have something in them that allows that to heal. And so I'll go to uh, the dollar store. I'll get some stuff, and I'll try it. And if it's capable of doing that, and then I'll see how long they last in the air. And if it's, if it's, sometimes it's fine. I could use the stuff in the dollar store. I could use it for my whole act. And other times, I'll go back to the same dollar store, and they've got different juice, <laughs> also from China. Right. Uh, and it doesn't work. So it was unreliable. It used to be Woolworths always had the good cheap stuff. It was called Wonder Bubbles. Changed its name to Mr. Bubbles. Still the good stuff. It was made in Chicago. Wild water from Lake Erie. They, they, it was good stuff. Uh, the cheapest. It was the cheapest. Water from Lake Erie. Is that true? Uh, yes. <laughs> and they thought that was really important. When they started having it manufactured in China, they were shipping water from Lake Erie to China. <laughs> oh, stop it. I swear. This is what the guy says, and and so, wow. and then shipping the bubble just back. So, uh, and that was the good stuff, and they were selling it cheap. Uh, for for a lot of places like Woolworths, it was a loss leader. You you had you filled the shelves with bubble jars, and you sold them for thirty five cents. That's what I was buying. I when I traveled, I didn't like I didn't have to pack. I'll get some when I get there. Everybody's got a Woolworths. Yeah. When I get there, I'll buy some. You know, thirty five cents. Um, but now. I go into the, the, the dollar store and they've got different stuff than stuff that worked. Uh, and then I found a brand that works uh, every time. Uh, and it's from China. It's from Taiwan, actually. Um, and they were calling it Uncle Bubbles. Sometimes they call it Ultra Bubbles. And they sell it as a concentrate. Um, so I just order it from the internet. I find Uncle Bubbles or Ultra Bubbles, they're interchangeable. The company is, I think, Uncle and the I, yeah, but I get the concentrate, and so it looks really expensive when you first look at it. But realize that you're adding nine parts of water to that thing you're buying. It's still expensive, but that's the stuff that works now. Okay, you could mix up your own. You could mix up your own, uh, and, and for that you would start with Dawn dishwashing soap. Okay. If you're an American, yeah. Dawn. Really, nothing else is close. Joy is is the closest, but it's not close. Uh, and nothing else is anywhere near that. So Dawn, I have no interest in these companies. That's Procter & Gamble. Maybe the stuff breaks your dishes if you use it. I don't know anything <laughs> about that. I, I'm really, I have no interest in these guys. But it's the right stuff for making bubbles. Fair it's enough. not close. Um, and then when I was in Europe, I tried all the stuff on the shelves, everything that everybody had, every country I went to. And nothing was good. So I had to start carrying all this Dawn with me when I went to Germany for a five-month engagement. You know? What's the ratio of Dawn to water? 16 to 1. Okay. I'm a dummy. So what, what's a, when you say a part, 16 parts, what does that mean? That means if you use – okay, uh, 16 to 1 is, is really – this is the only time anybody's ever going to say this to you. The American measuring system is superior to metric in this case. <laughs> 16 to 1 means a cup to a gallon. 16 to 1 is a cup to a gallon. 
Or if you only want to make a little bit, if you only if you only want to make a, a cup of water, use a tablespoon of Dawn. That's also sixteen to one. Oh, nice. There you go. Okay. In metric, I don't know how to break it down. You got to do ten parts out of the sixteen. What the hell's going on? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So and and then and that's good stuff. That'll make that'll do some things. But you could. Make it more flexible. It, it may not be able to handle the stress of some situations. So some people, everybody tells me to put glycerin in it. I never do. Um, although I know why. I know why it'll add some flexibility. It'll protect the water that's inside from evaporation somewhat. They're thinner than wavelengths of light. Soap films thinner than wavelengths of light, and the water is trapped in between two layers of the soapy stuff. And so on a dry day, that's not a lot of water. A little bit of evaporation in any part of the bubble, and the whole thing comes apart. So if you could protect that with the glycerin will come to the surface and help protect the water somewhat. Better than glycerin might be, well, corn syrup does more or less the same thing, a lot cheaper. Um, there are other things too, though. There are uh, some kind of lubricant, guar. You know, guar, G U A R, is a kind of powder that they, they sell as a thickener in soups and things like that. It's in a lot of the food, processed foods. Guar it has long chain polymers, and that really adds flexibility. That's good stuff. There's another one called PEO, polyethylene oxide, which they sell as a, um, to veterinarians, they sell it called J Lube, J L U B E. Uh, as a powder, you know, they wet their hands, they sprinkle the powder on, and then you really slippery hands. And if you're a vet and you need to go in there and put your hands and help the birth of the calf and you need lubricant, that's what you would use. <laughs> Teeny bit of that to the 16 parts of water, okay. one part of dawn, you would add, man, an eighth of a teaspoon would be a lot if you had a gallon of that, ooh, that, Really, less is better and see how it works because it, the, you put too much in and the whole thing turns into snot. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody wants it to turn into a snot let's be honest there we go yeah. this is a given <laughs> okay got it all right then i need a cocktail straw and i need i need a smoke machine yeah better than those little teeny little straws those little cocktail straws. although that was the first time i put a bubble inside of a bubble was in a bar with one of those a girlfriend that's what i figured uh, but the, I like the bigger ones, a bigger bore to them. I, I prefer for the stage, I like the black ones that they have in some bars. You can get these bigger straws, yeah. Um, but any other one for the free ones that they, you know, you, they like at McDonald's if you take it home with you. Those are the regular, regular straws. And anything, somebody bought, gave me a silver straw once. Works just as good as plastic. <laughs> wow. If it's wet, it'll go inside the bubble. If it's dry, it'll pop the bubble. Got it. Bubbles are not balloons. They don't care about sharp and pointy at all. A knife, a needle, a razor, a really sharp, super, super, super sharp, meaningless to a bubble. If it's wet, it'll go inside the bubble. If it's dry, it'll pop the bubble. Interesting. They're really different things. They're not what we think they are, and they're certainly not balloons. Okay, and then where does a guy off the street get a smoke machine? Yeah. um, That's the tricky one, right? Yeah, yeah. Now it used to be cigarettes, right? And I loved that my act was, you know, made up entirely of things that you have at home, you know, and everybody was smoking. <laughs> right. So it was so simple. A pack of smokes and a plastic straw and a 35 cent jar of bubbles. And I was on the road. I teased the magicians all the time. Yeah, you're doing your whole act for less than a dollar, right? <laughs> you bet. <laughs> but, uh, but you're right. Now that I'm into the fog machines, I, I, I really did a lot of work to, to come up with something that would work. Um, 
So I used uh, ginseng cigarettes, but you know, they inhale that stuff. It's not going to be good for you. Uh, and then, and then I had this toy. It's a toy called the fog launcher. Um, and it's designed to make smoke rings or actually fog rings. It heats glycerin into a, a vapor. And then, and then I had a, 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 tiny, a tiny fog machine called the Tiny Fogger. German technology, beautiful thing, very expensive, makes lots of fog, far too much fog for my uses. In fact, <laughs> it was, and it was like having a Mercedes, this wonderful tool. But like a Mercedes, every time something went wrong with it, it was a three hundred dollars something. Mm. <laughs> so eventually, I got, I went back to the toy thing because I could throw away a lot of these toys. They just died out of the blue. The fog launchers, they was, and then. The first time they anybody ever made an e-cigarette, electronic cigarettes, I immediately said, that's a tiny fog machine. Forget about the nicotine. Forget about the flavorants. Forget about anything they want to add to it. Use glycerin. Glycerin heated up makes a vapor, and they found nothing wrong with breathing the vapor from glycerin as a vapor. You know, it's probably not as good as breathing you know, oxygen, (laughs) but they, they, they don't know anything wrong. Uh, And then, and then I had to, you know, convert it so that it didn't look like I'm vaping because I know they're going to start going after these things too. And sure enough, they're going after these things now. Uh, So I've converted it. So, and I'm not sucking it into my mouth and then blowing a bubble like I did with the cigarettes. I'm blowing to create the vapor. I'm blowing into the machine, comes out the other side and I have a very tiny one now, a really handheld thing. I just blow into it. Uh, the, 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 the heating coil heats up, the, the little drop of glycerin is on it, directly put the fog into the bubble. Um, and the, so there's, without any of the extra, you don't add the nicotine stuff, you don't add the flavor and stuff, you just blow vapor into it. It's a little tricky. They don't. They don't just. They don't just. You know, appear. You got. You got to figure out how to make it work. So you're not. You're not using a straw at all. You're just blowing it directly from the e-cigarette. Yeah, I've, I've, and some people uh, are skipping the straw. This one essentially has a straw that comes out of it. So you're right. right. So I'm using it in much the way that I had always used the straw. In addition, I've got some straws with me. So sometimes I'll, I'll use that device, and I won't call it an e-cigarette. I'll call it a, a fog machine. Right. Right. By the way, <laughs> so I'll, I'll use that when I need some vapor, and and sometimes I'll just pick up the plastic straw that I've also got on stage with me, and just because I don't need vapor, I just need to put something inside, or I need to break a wall. If I want to break a wall between two bubbles, I let the end of the straw touch that wall that I want to eliminate, and then through the end of the, end of the straw, I'll suck them. That'll break that wall. Sometimes that's what I'm up to. Okay. Under the, the tornado bubble, I hang a little smoke bubble from the bottom of a, a big clear bubble. I spin the air around in the big clear bubble. You can't see it. It's invisible. It's air. But then I want to break the wall between them as well. Touch that with the end of the rock, suck a little bit. And that fog comes up and it's got some weight. So it stays at the bottom of that now spinning air thing. And when I open the top by breaking the film inside of the little hole, it'll draw that fog up in a in a in a swirl vortex that's exactly the same forces that make real tornadoes. It's inverted. The point is at the top instead of the bottom, but otherwise it's really the same forces that make tornadoes I'm recreating inside the bubble. Wow. Well thank you for sharing some of that behind the scenes stuff. Sure. Okay, so just a few more questions. Keith wanted to know if you've ever heard of Gravity Beard. I'm sorry, gravity what? Gravity beard. 
Beard, B-E-A-R-D? Yep. No. All right. Paul asked, what's the strangest venue that you've performed at? <laughs> uh, I played at the Paris Opera, where the... Uh, you know, the Phantom of the Opera was the, the old one, the old uh, for for a big gala, the Prime Minister's Christmas Gala. I love that. I also played on the stage at the Moulin Rouge. Wow. Um, I played outdoor at the Oregon Country Fair, this hippie fair I go to every year. Um, What's the strangest, the weirdest place you've performed? Mm. Oh, let's say the Moulin Rouge. Okay. All right. And... What's an unexpected response, either positive or negative, that you've gotten from a specific audience member? Can you think of anything? Um, a tesseract. You know what a tesseract is? I don't. It's a it's a three dimensional representation of a four dimensional object. Okay. And a number of people will call out that term when I do the bubble cube. It's a cube within a structure. They're right. It could be seen as, you know how you could draw on paper a, uh, a, a what looks like a cube. It's not really. It's just flat, but a little hexagon. A, a 3D version of that to show you a 4D object is a tesseract. Okay. Someone has shouted that out during your show. Yes, more than once. Interesting. Okay. Casey wanted to know, Casey wanted to know if you've ever gotten a party of friends stoned on a marijuana bubble. Yes. <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll be happy to know that. You wanted quick answers. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have you done that? Um, more than a few well, times. More than a few times. All right. All right. Fair enough. A related question. Joe wanted to know if you've ever used your rear to make a bubble. No. <laughs> Well, I mean, like you in the bathtub. Right. (laughs) Not in the sense of like it might go in your show. That's right. You've never uh, practiced or perfected a fart bubble is what she's asking. I have not. Okay, good. I'm I'm glad that that's the answer. (laughs) We've sort of touched on this, but she also wanted to know, do you have an apprentice? You know, one of her questions was, has anybody ripped off your act? We've discussed that thousands of people are now doing bubble acts of different kinds. So her question was, do you have any kind of apprentice or who will be the next bubble guy when you're gone? But really, there's thousands of them, aren't there? There are. And I and I have no resentment of that at all. I really yeah. I wrote a how-to bubble book in the, uh, in the mid-'80s. I wrote a how-to bubble book uh, to teach people how to do this, um, whether, it's, whether your intent is to make an act, which many of them did, uh, or just to have that kind of beauty in your house or to show your kids something impressive or your grandchild. Um, it's out of print, long time out of print, but sometimes you can find them on, you know, some of the book sites online. You, you can find an old copy. What's the name of the book in case people want to go look for it? Tom Noddy's Bubble Magic. There you go. Okay. And then Keith wanted to ask, does the smoke bubble genre still have room to evolve further? I assume that it does. Um, there are there are some surprising things sometimes still still happening. I found out, you know, just a year before last. I've been doing this over forty years, forty five years. When I found out, I can bounce a soap bubble on steel wool. Wow, that's okay. not just a new trick. That's a new phenomenon. 
there are things, I, you know, I often tell people, but soap bubbles are not what you think they are. The limitations or the, or, or the opposite of limitations, the things that you think they're, they're, they would do because you saw it in a cartoon or something, uh, they, they, those, those, are, those are unreal. They're not what you think they are. And, and, they're, and, and after 45 years, I had to remind myself, Tom, they're not what you think they are either. Interesting. Steel wool bounced bubbles. And, and there are other performers, you know, and other people, to, especially with the giant bubbles who are doing things that I would never have anticipated. These long chain polymers, they're doing bubbles bigger than school buses now. They're putting, I, I, there, are, there are things that are still going on. So I, I assume that's not going to end anytime soon. And I, I think there is room. Keith, huh? <laughs> yeah. Keith Gallo, the host and creator of the Pop Up Filmcast, by the way. Ah, cool. <laughs> So it sounds like if someone is dedicated to the craft in a similar way that you are, then there are still plenty of things left to discover. Yeah, or even just yeah, playing. I mean, that's really if you just keep playing. You know, people say you practice a lot, you work it, but yeah, I call it playing. If you just keep playing, just as I did in the beginning, I had no intent of creating a new trick. I had no intent of creating an act. I was just playing. I was interested in the beauty, which, by the way. Is enough. <laughs> I mean, that's just, they really are one of the most remarkably beautiful things on the planet. Those colors, that movement, those, the angles that there's, it's all, you're already done. You don't have to, you don't have to turn it into an act. You don't have to further the, they're, they're bubbles and they're gone. You know, they're not going to fill up your house or anything. You know, you, you, you're fine. Just, why not? I don't know why all of you guys aren't looking at bubbles all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have three children under the age of eight, and they love bubbles. Here we go. <laughs> well, one more thing. This past spring is the 17th year of your Moisture Festival in Seattle. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Moisture Festival. Good. Um, you, uh, I, I, I told you before that I, I go to Germany. A lot. They're, they have variety. It's like old vaudeville. They call it varieté, which is the French word, is which is what they always used in Germany for what we call vaudeville variety shows. And it was a revival of it in Germany. So I ended up working there a lot. And there was a real scene. And I brought a friend of mine from Seattle, a guitar player, to uh, to see it. To see, I was I was part of a festival in, in Berlin, and so I brought my friend Ron Bailey to see this German scene that was happening. And he immediately went, "Oh, Seattle would love this." And he set about working with his other extended family to create a, a, a festival of variety arts. And so we bring in performers. From, I, I work for it every year, and uh, and I'm there throughout the festival. Most performers fly in for one week, and we do four weeks of shows of, of uh, Wednesday through Sunday. And um, and the audiences turn out. They just they just pack. The Seattle gets it. They know what they're coming for. And we've got astounding jugglers. A guy that can tell you your zip code if you tell him where you live, or you tell him your zip code, he'll tell you where you live and restaurants in your neighborhood. Uh, we've got acrobats and trapeze, beautiful artistic things and god goofy stupid stuff uh put together in a variety show that moves 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 move move if you don't like it hang in there you're gonna like this next one uh and live bands that are playing with them and and, and funny hosts and uh and yeah and we and people have been turning out and and the backstage is just this this wonderful you know we all travel and live these 
in some ways kind of lonely lives. You hit the road and you, and you know, you got a hotel and you got your gigs and you come back. Maybe you like the people in the show, but here a whole bunch of us gather for the whole, and the backstage is like, and, and guys you've known, but you haven't spent time. It's, it's a wonder. It's a wonder. The moisture festival in Seattle happens every March, April. Well, I would encourage everybody to go to the website for that event and get more details. It's moisturefestival.org. And if only to, to, to read the things on the of the performers, go to the performer pages with little bios and stuff, that alone is entertainment. Just read what people do for a living. Yeah, well, that, that's exactly what I was going to say, is if you have uh, just enough time to go do that, it, it, is, it is a lengthy and wonderful list of, of terrific performers. So unfortunately, it's already passed. It was just a couple months ago, but there's one every year. That was year 17. So I'm sure there'll be another one next year, all going well. So go to moisturefestival.org and check that out. Super. All right, Tom, I knew when I came across you that you were going to be someone who had a really terrific story. And that was indeed the case. I can't thank you enough for being so generous with your time and sharing it with us. Yeah, Chris, it's a, it's, it's a pleasure. It really, you know, I'm, I've enjoyed the conversation by itself, but uh, I'm going to love hearing it. And I'll, I'll put it up on my Facebook page. I've got nearing 5,000 uh, friends. <laughs> uh, I'll let them know about it anyway. And I'll link them to it. So make sure you let me know. Yeah, we definitely will. Thank you so much for that. And thanks for spending time with us and, and take care. All right. All right. Take it easy, Chris. Yeah, you too, Tom. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. The Interview Show is a production of Gravity Beard and can be found on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Follow the show on Twitter at TheGBIS or on Facebook by searching The Gravity Beard Interns. Special thanks to Phil Rude, that illustrator guy, for our logo. This is The Interview Show by Gravity Beard. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.